This morning, um, we'll be reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 24. Um, If you're going to use the Pew Bible, um, which is this one, um, there are many books in the pews, so it's the ESV Holy Bible. Um, The scripture passage can be found on page 246. Again, that's 1 Samuel, chapter 24, starting at verse 1, and that is page 246 of the Pew Bible. Okay, I'll read the passage out loud. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David with his men, with his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterwards, David also arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. May God bless the reading of his word. I wanna invite uh, Minister Pat up to the stage now. He's going to introduce um, our guest speaker for today. Thank you, Natalie. So it is, it is the case that we are CBCGB, we are Crossbridge. We are the English-speaking congregation of this church. We also have a Chinese-speaking worship service in the morning and one in the afternoon located right there in Boston. And so as hard as it is sometimes for us um, to 
identify as CBCGB because we also are Crossbridge, it is an apt reminder that we are just one local church among the council of many churches all around New England, across this nation, and certainly around the world. And so it's, it's exciting for us to open our pulpit to invite the voices of other leaders in, across the area to come and to share with us the blessings that they have been sharing with their congregation. And so it's exciting this morning to have Pastor Ethan May and his beautiful wife, Kayla, with us this morning um, to bring us God's word. And so Ethan hails from Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he earned um, a, a degree in education from Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And after they wedded, in, in fact, I've been told it was just minutes, hours, perhaps hours, after their wedding, they boarded a plane and they made their way here to the North Shore of here in Massachusetts to attend Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Um, and after earning that degree, um, they called this place home and they now live in Beverly, Massachusetts. And Ethan is, Pastor Ethan is the pastor of community life. I, I want to say congregational life, but it's community life and outreach. And so I just want to invite him up. I want us to incline our ears, our hearts, to hear God's word as he has prepared for us. Welcome, Pastor Ethan. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, like Minister Pat said, my name is Ethan May, and I'm one of the pastors at High Rock North Shore up in Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh, High Rock is a church plant that we, uh, actually this September, actually, we're celebrating our 10 years uh, since planting as a church, um, which is going to be very special. But we love being up in the North Shore, partnering with so many wonderful churches and organizations in the area that love to serve that community. Um, many of us on staff at High Rock actually went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, where uh, we studied under Dr. Jeff Arthurs, who was the interim pastor here for a while, uh, and we love Dr. Arthurs. Uh, although I will admit it is a little bit intimidating to be asked by your old preaching professor to come preach where he's been preaching, uh, I have to expect to see him in the back grading me like it's uh, another seminary assignment. Um, but all that to say, High Rock North Shore sends its greetings to you all this morning, uh, and I'm personally so excited and blessed to be here worshiping alongside all of you. So before we begin today, I would like to just take a moment. I invite you to quiet yourselves before the Lord, quiet your heart and your mind and invite Him into this space. We carry so much with us throughout each week. Uh, so much can be going on in our heads when we step into the sanctuary. So uh, I encourage you just to take a moment and prayerfully quiet your hearts and invite God in. And after a moment, I'll open us in prayer. Holy God, thank you for... Uh, your love for us. Thank you for uh, this church, for this congregation. Um, thank you, Lord, that 
as Minister Pat said, even though we are separated by uh, many towns and, and many miles, that we are still one church, all of us um, believers and followers of you. So Lord, I pray that you will bless today, bless this service, um, that you will come and you will intimately meet and interact with each of us today in new and profound ways. I pray, Lord, that all we do will be glorifying to you and furthering to your kingdom. It's in your holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. So my mom's sister, so my Aunt Becky, is a kindergarten teacher in Chicago. Uh, Sometimes when the kids in her kindergarten class are feeling a little antsy or they have a lot of energy that they need to burn off, uh, she takes them outside to kind of run around for a little bit. They have a little playground out there and they can run and burn off some energy Um, And after they've been running around for a bit and calming down, she finishes up their outside time with a quick race to a big tree that's next to the playground and then back. And it's not very far. There's nothing between her and the tree. It's just a straight line around the tree and then run back. And the kids love it. But a few years ago, my Aunt Becky had a student in her class that really wanted to win these races, but he didn't really want to run. So every time they would go outside, everyone would get lined up, she'd say, on your marks, get set, go, and the kids would take off towards the tree, and they'd be running, and she'd be watching, and all of them were going, and all of a sudden, this one student would start to slow down, and he'd start to slowly turn, and he'd look over his shoulder at everyone else running, and then he'd start running as fast as he can back to my Aunt Becky. And he'd get there, he'd, he would cut half of the race as everyone else was running, but he'd turn around early and he would come back, and when he would get there, he'd run back, he'd, he'd cheer, he'd say, I did it, I won the race, he'd be so excited. And my Aunt Becky would say, well, my buddy, if you want to win, win the race, you have to go all the way to the tree and back. And he's cheering, and as soon as she'd say that, he would just fall to the ground, and he would start crying, I'm so tired, Miss Becky. I'm so tired. He had all this energy before, but enough energy to run all the way to the tree and back? I'm so tired, Miss Becky. It would be so much easier just to run halfway and then come back. Just to cut across the middle, it would be so much easier. I'm just so tired, and this other way is so hard. And over the past couple of weeks, as I've been reading through 1 Samuel in in the chapters that we're going over today, as I read about David's journey, I just kept thinking about my Aunt Becky's old student who was just so tired. He, He saw an easier way out. He felt like the hand he had been dealt was just way too hard. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that the hand you've been dealt is just too hard? Maybe there's an easier way. It's a temptation for all of us, but as you've been unpacking this summer throughout the sermon series, this isn't a new problem to humanity. And so today, I am honored to be part of your sermon series, The Three Kings, The Bad, The Good, and The Ugly. And so far in this sermon series, you've walked through roughly the first 20 chapters of 1 Samuel, learning all about King Saul, how he was off to a great start. He was anointed by the Lord, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then how he faltered a bit in the middle, and then how he ended so poorly. 
And in learning about Saul, you met a shepherd boy named David. And boy, did David have a great start. I mean, right from the get-go, David was doing great. He was anointed by Samuel. He defeated Goliath. He was brought into the king's service. It was an awesome start for David. And last week, you talked about how David was beloved by so many, how his relationships and his reputation grew and flourished, how he and Jonathan, the son of King Saul, developed a deep and meaningful relationship. But as we know when we learned about Saul's bad ending, as David's fame grew and his reputation grew, Saul's jealousy and paranoia and anger grew as well until finally it led to David fleeing for his life. So this next section of 1 Samuel, chapters 21 to 27, they follow David as he runs from Saul's plan to kill him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to walk verse by verse through seven chapters of 1 Samuel. I don't think anyone wants to be here that long, especially with lunch coming up so soon. But today, I'm going to try my best to walk us through the narrative as David flees for his life as he goes on the run. And we'll focus specifically on one part of the narrative where when everything was just so hard for David, he was faced with the opportunity to cut across the middle of that race to the tree and just take an easier way out. So let me recap the last couple of chapters just real quick. So far, David is awesome. And that's basically the whole recap. David is great. Everybody loves David. And while you're, you'll explore more of David's story in the coming weeks, at this moment in the story, David, I mean, David has become so popular and well-loved in the kingdom that Saul has given him command over a thousand soldiers. He's even asked David to marry one of his daughters. And when David humbly declined, Saul asked him to marry his other daughter. I mean, that would be like if when I was studying at Gordon-Conwell under Jeff Arthurs, everyone at the school loved me so much that Dr. Arthurs asked me, hey, do you want to preach some of my classes? And also, do you want to be my son? <laughs> like, that would be crazy and kind of weird in our modern-day context. But for David, everything was great. And it's because of this wild success that King Saul's jealousy and insecurities boiled over. And as in this jealousy then led to paranoia, a fear that David would use his popularity and his fame to overthrow the throne. And this paranoia grew and grew and grew until finally King Saul ordered David to be killed. So David ran. And that's where we find him right now. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David fled and made his way to the town of Nob, where he met a priest who fed him and prayed for him. And then he fled to the city Gath, which is a Philistine city. And if you remember, the Philistines were Israel's biggest enemy at the time. They were the nation that Israel had been fighting against for years. So David flees to a Philistine city, thinking, hopefully, that Saul wouldn't be able to find him if he hid in enemy territory and laid low for a bit. But David's fame and reputation got the better of him because when he gets there, all the people recognize him. They say, isn't this David, the one that the Israelites sing about when they say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And let me tell you, if you're wanting to lay low for a bit, 
in, a na- in another nation immediately being recognized as the person that's killed tens of thousands of their soldiers, that's not a great way to lay low. And so he then has to flee again in chapter 22. He escapes to a cave in the wilderness, and his brothers and his family all join him after they heard that David was hiding. And David's fame, it continues to have an impact on his life as he fled from Saul because more and more people started to follow David. They started to show up. Those who are also oppressed by the kingdom started following David. And 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 to 2, it says that David had gathered so many people that he had about 400 men that were serving under him as like a mini army. But Saul is still after him, so David flees again, and he goes to Moab to appeal to the king there, saying, hey, can we stay here? Can we be safe? And the king says, yeah, sure. But then while he's there, a prophet of God warns David to leave. So David flees again. And in chapter 3, David defends a town from a Philistine attack and then has to flee again. So in case it's not obvious yet, David spends most of these chapters fleeing a lot. David is constantly running from Saul and from Saul's army. Over and over and over, David is running from place to place, from city to city, from wilderness to wilderness, just trying to stay out of Saul's reach, running away from someone who is trying to kill him when he had done nothing wrong. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine how tired David must have felt? David didn't ask for any of this. David didn't ask Samuel to anoint him when he was young. David didn't ask to be Saul's armor bearer and musician. David, it's not like David tried to overthrow Saul and steal the kingdom. David was just living life as best he could, trying to honor the Lord and honor Saul as the one that God had appointed as king. And I don't know about you, friends, but doesn't it sometimes feel like that a little bit in our lives too is just so hard. Now, hopefully there's no one in your life who's actively hunting you down and throwing spears at you like Saul was doing to David. But do you ever feel like you're just trying your best? You're just trying to love God and love others, just trying to be a good spouse or a good friend or a good employee or son or daughter or brother or sister in life just isn't working out. It's just not fair. Maybe at work, maybe your boss treats you really poorly. They don't appreciate you. Maybe your parents or your family have expectations of you that feel unfair. You can't ever seem to live up to them. Maybe you invest so much in a particular friendship or relationship, but you always seem to get hurt in the end, and it's just exhausting. We're just trying our best to love God and love others, and it's so disheartening. And as I look at all that David is going through here, while it is very different in many ways from our current world that we live in, I can't help but imagine that he also just feels so exhausted and disheartened. Because even though he has been nothing but loyal and devoted to God and Israel and King Saul, Saul wants him dead. So David runs, and he runs, and he runs. But Saul is right on his heels. 
So eventually, after all this running, Saul catches up with David. In chapter 24, Saul learns that David is hiding in the wilderness. So Saul takes 3,000 men, 3,000 soldiers, and starts scouring the wilderness, looking for David. And that leads us right up to the passage that Natalie read for us earlier. As David and his men were hiding in a cave while Saul's army was looking for them, who should walk into the cave they're hiding in but King Saul himself? Because it turns out that even kings need to go to the bathroom sometimes. And so Saul walks into this dark, quiet, seemingly empty cave to go to the bathroom, but David and his men, they were hiding in the dark, hiding where Saul couldn't see them, hiding in what all of the sudden seems to be the perfect place to ambush an unsuspecting enemy. This is David's chance, everyone. This is his opportunity to strike back, to kill Saul, to end this nightmare that he's been living in. And David's men are encouraging him to seize the opportunity to finally put an end to Saul and all their hardships. Oh, how much easier this would have been for David. All his running, all his persecution, all his hardships, it would all end right there. All he had to do was sneak up behind the unsuspecting king and kill him. And it wouldn't just be his troubles that would disappear. There is a good chance that if David killed Saul, he would become the next king of Israel. He was Saul's son-in-law. He was beloved by everyone in Israel, even many of Saul's own men and army. He could take the throne by force right then and right there. And friends, it sure seems like David wants to. The end of verse 4 says, Then David crept up unnoticed, and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David, in the dark, sneaks up, cuts off part of Saul's cloak, his royal cloak, the cloak that kings wear when they go to battle, symbolically saying, hey, I, I should be king. I'm the one who's loved by everyone. I'm the one who's been faithful to God. This is what I want. This is my chance. And David is right there. He can take it. He doesn't have to run all the way to the tree. He can tur turn around quicker, take an easier path out. But he doesn't. He doesn't kill the king. He doesn't claim the throne for himself. In fact, David immediately feels guilty about what he's done. Verses 5 to 7 say, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. He was racked with guilt for having cut off a corner of the robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul then left the cave and went on his way. So David, ridden with guilt, rebukes his men for wanting to kill Saul, and honestly, he's probably rebuking himself here as well. Saul has been anointed by God and leads God's people, the Israelites, and in spite of everything, David is still loyal to his king. And in his loyalty to his king, he's showing his loyalty to God who appointed that king. 
He doesn't kill Saul and make his life easier. Instead, he chooses, even still, to trust the Lord and to honor Saul as the one that God had called to be king. And verse 8 says that when uh, Saul left the cave, David then went out after him and called out to him, bowing down before him. As Saul turns around and sees him, David says in verses 4 and 10, he said that Saul, why do you listen to men when they say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. And then David holds up a corner of Saul's robe, the one that he had cut off, as evidence that he could have killed Saul but didn't. He tells Saul, listen, hey, I haven't rebelled against you. I haven't plotted against you. I haven't attacked you. I haven't done anything, Saul. You're the king, and I'm just a flea compared to you. And David finishes this passionate speech to to Saul in verse 15. He says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider me Consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David is essentially saying, whatever happens, may the Lord see that I chose to follow him. I I chose to trust that his way is better than my way. And Saul weeps and feels remorse for what he's done. He calls David righteous because David chose mercy. And friends, I think in this chapter, chapter 24, I think we see once again why David is so often called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. Because in spite of everything, David is committed to placing the outcome of his life in God's hands and not his own hands. Because when he was presented with the opportunity, instead of violence, David chose mercy. Instead of hatred, David chose reconciliation. Instead of looking out for himself, he chose to extend love even to his enemies. Instead of his will, he chose God's will. He didn't take the shortcut. He went all the way to the tree, trusting that God's way was better, trusting that God had a plan for him, trusting that whatever it looked like, God would be there through it all. Even if that means he has to keep running from Saul, even if that means he doesn't become king, even if that means life is still hard, David still chooses to follow God's call on his life. David, even when it was hard, chose perseverance and patience through it all. And now, as you know, as we all know, David eventually becomes king. But it's not because he took the easy way out and killed Saul there in the cave and took it for himself, but because he trusted in God and followed God with perseverance and patience. And friends, I think as we look at chapter 24, as we look at this whole section of David on the run and confronted with this easy way out, I think we can learn a lot from that story because God calls us to the same things. In the midst of hardship and pain and struggle in our lives, God calls us to follow him and to love him and to trust him 
God calls us to mercy instead of violence. God calls us to reconciliation instead of hatred. God calls us to extend love to those around us instead of looking out for our own interests. God calls us to choose His will and His way and His love. And that's hard, everyone. As I wrote that sentence, as I prepared for this sermon, I I said out loud, wow, that's hard. Because it's honestly way easier to not live like that. Like those things we talked about earlier, those things that might be hard in your life. When your boss doesn't appreciate you and criticizes you, when you feel like you can't live up to your family's expectations, when you invest in others but you you, you get hurt, it would be so much easier not to choose mercy and grace, and love, and reconciliation. It would be so much easier to lash out, to repay anger for anger, to hurt them like they hurt you. It would be so much easier just to cut halfway across to the tree, take the easier way out, and look out for ourselves. But God calls us to run all the way to the tree, trusting that God's way is better, running with perseverance and patience. God calls us to live and love like Him, even when it's hard. And God doesn't call us to do that just because it's morally good or because everybody in the world should treat each other as they wanted to be treated. That's true, but ultimately the reason why we choose to love others like this is because through Jesus' life and death on the cross and resurrection in the tomb, we experience that love, that selfless love, that transformative love Because God loved us when we were still sinners, when we still ran from God in all of our messiness and shame, God chose to love us. And that's why we are called to live in love like God lived and loves us. So how do we do that? I mean, what does that even look like for us to live out this week and this month in our day-to-day lives? Because it's really easy just to say, you know, hey, persevere like David did and leave it at that. But it's hard to live out in practice because the only way that we can really run with perseverance and patience like David did, the only way that we can live in love like God calls us to is through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is impossible to do if we just rely on our own strength or our own power of will. Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And he goes on and says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. And my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. When we abide in Christ, when we remain in Christ, when we cling to God like a grape on the vine, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit beginning to grow within us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love others as Christ loves us and them. We are empowered to choose kindness and mercy, to seek reconciliation and understanding. We are empowered to run with perseverance and patience even when it's hard. 
But that's not to say that when we choose to follow God and love like God in the midst of hardship and trials, that God will make everything better, that everything's easy and everything's comfortable. Because, I mean, if we continue in David's story throughout to the end of chapter 27, we see that David continues to face these persecutions even after he spared Saul's life. Even after he spares his life, Saul shows remorse and regret, but then two chapters later, Saul turns around and is chasing after David again, and David has to hide for his life again, and David then even spares Saul's life a second time choosing to trust in God's plan, choosing not to take the easy way out, to tr- choosing to trust in and rely on God's provision doesn't mean that life will magically be easy all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that the struggles of life around us will magically disappear. Maybe they do, but maybe they don't. But whether hardship continues or fades, we can live with the assurance of God's love and faithfulness to us. No matter what hardships we face, no matter how worn down we feel, we can place our hope in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. And it's this knowledge of God's love and mercy and faithfulness that gives us the strength to persevere through the hardships of life. And so as we leave from here today, that is my challenge to you this week. As we go out from here today, I encourage you to actively spend time praying in God's Word, prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit to cultivate within you this fruit of the Spirit so that you can cling to Jesus like a grape on the vine, so that you can love like Jesus calls us to love, so that you can abide in the truth of God's love for you, so that, like David, you can choose to run all the way to the tree with perseverance and patience and love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that we find in the Bible, all the ways that others have loved you, have struggled through life, have been hurt like we've been hurt, who felt joy like we have felt joy. Thank you for all the ways that your word encourages us that we are not alone, that you love us, that you care for us, that you are always with us. So Lord, as we leave today, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you will empower us to run with perseverance when life is hard, to love like God calls us to love, and to choose your will and not just the easy way out. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.